Hey everyone, this is Wesley Town. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to Conversations Around Christianity and Culture, Season 1. Suffering is a part of our story. I have been seeing a psychologist on and off for years. I remember sitting in his office five years ago, talking through and weeping over pain I had from my childhood. I never forget one of the things he told me that day in regards to suffering and pain. He said, I have studied and counseled many leaders, and most of them have immense pain and brokenness from suffering in their lives. Those words, for some reason, etched into my memory. Suffering is a part of our stories, an important and powerful part of our stories. Suffering and pain can take on meaning in our story. Suffering can be a great catalyst to do something meaningful with our lives. Suffering can paint a new picture of how we see people and the world. Obviously, none of us wants to suffer. But certainly, our suffering does not need to go to waste. Take, for example, Joseph in the Bible. Joseph was the son of Jacob, one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. In fact, he was only one of his many sons. Jacob had 11 sons. From the account of his life in the book of Genesis, we learn that Isaac favored Joseph. He was his favorite son. This caused friction with his older brothers, as it would in any family. They were jealous and hated him because of it. They were all shepherds, and one day Joseph went to look for his brothers. Once he found them, they plotted to kill him, but instead they sold him into slavery to passing merchants. Joseph was taken to Egypt. He was sold to a leader in Egypt named Potiphar. Potiphar rewarded Joseph with the highest position of his household. Potiphar's wife was infatuated with Joseph and one day came after him sexually, and Joseph ran. And then she was embarrassed, so she falsely accused him of coming after her sexually. He was thrown into prison because of it. In prison, he interpreted dreams by God for two prisoners, which eventually led him to interpret the Pharaoh of Egypt's dreams because no one else in Egypt could. He was raised up by Pharaoh to be his right-hand man after that. God gave him the wisdom to deliver the nation of Egypt from years of famine. God's favor was upon his life, even in the midst of great suffering. Joseph's position in Egypt and the wisdom God gave him during the famine years enabled him to save his family from starvation. This also led to the preservation of God's promises through his family. His line would become the nation of Israel and birth Jesus the Messiah. What the enemy or our enemies mean for evil, God can redeem for good. In episode two, I would like to answer the question, is there meaning in suffering? Tim Keller, in his incredible book on suffering, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says this, sociologists and anthropologists have analyzed and compared the various ways that cultures train its members for grief, pain, and loss. And when this comparison is done, it is often noted that our own contemporary secular Western culture is one of the weakest and worst in history at doing so. The culture we grow up in shapes our views of suffering and pain. 
Some cultures encourage us to express our pain and suffering. Other cultures encourage the suppression of pain and suffering. For example, think about when our kids are crying or someone we are close to is crying and we get uncomfortable. Those emotions are often not embraced. We feel awkward and uncomfortable because of how our culture has shaped us in suffering. We often will do anything to cause those emotions to end as soon as possible. We say to our kids, don't cry. We say to our spouse, to that person we're close to, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Because we've been shaped by a culture that doesn't know what to do with pain and suffering. There's many different views in different cultures of suffering. Tim Keller uh, gives a detailed description of these views, and I'd like to give you a synopsis. First of all, there's the moralistic view of suffering. Some cultures teach that suffering and pain are caused by our personal failures to live rightly. Karma. You suffer presently as the result of past deeds. You get what you deserve. Then there's the self-transcendent view of suffering. Some cultures teach that suffering and pain are caused by unfulfilled desires. We need to detach ourselves from the material world, things, and persons to extinguish our sufferings. Uh, Buddhism teaches the goal is to achieve a calmness of the soul in which all desire, individuality, and suffering are dissolved. So we detach from all material world so we no longer suffer. Another view is the fatalistic view of suffering. Some cultures teach that suffering and pain are caused by fate and destiny. Some God or the universe has predetermined your suffering. We must submit to our fate with a good attitude as the highest virtue. Another view of suffering is the dualistic view of suffering. Some cultures teach that suffering and pain are caused by the battle between the spiritual forces, darkness and light, good and evil. All that is evil and all suffering in the world exists because of evil and satanic powers. And we, we're just a casualty of this world. war. Pardon me. Then there's the secular view of suffering. This is our culture, the Western culture. This is how America has shaped our views of suffering. Some cultures teach that suffering is an accident and has no meaning and no value. A secular society like ours does not give an explanation for suffering, does not give wisdom to walk through suffering, and certainly does not give meaning in suffering. In America, the meaning of life is our pursuit of happiness. If the material world is all that we have, then suffering has no meaning at all. Suffering is an interruption to our happiness. In fact, Richard Dawkins states that life is empty, pointless, futile, a desert of meaninglessness and insignificance, and that to look to any spiritual resource to find purpose or meaning in the face of suffering is infantile. This is interesting. As Keller notes, in older cultures, suffering has been seen as an expected part of our coherent life story, a crucial way to live life well and to grow as a person and a soul. But the meaning of life in our Western society is individual freedom. 
There is no higher good than the right and freedom to decide for yourself what you think is good. Cultural institutions are supposed to be neutral and value-free, not telling people what to live for, but only ensuring the freedom of every person to live as he or she finds most satisfying and fulfilling. But if the meaning of life is individual freedom and happiness, then suffering is of no possible use. In this worldview, the only thing to do with suffering is to avoid it at all costs. Or, if it is unavoidable, manage and minimize the emotions of pain and discomfort as much as possible. In the secular view, suffering is never seen as meaningful part of life, but only an interruption. With that understanding, there are only two things to do when pain and suffering occur. The first is to manage and lessen the pain. The second way to handle suffering in this framework is to look for the cause of the pain and eliminate it. Other cultures see suffering as an inevitable part of the fabric of life because of unseen forces, such as the nature of life or the conflict between good and evil. But our modern culture does not believe in unseen spiritual forces. Suffering always has a material cause and therefore it can be, in theory, fixed. Well, according to Keller, that's how a secular viewpoint of suffering shapes how we think about it. Now, the real question is, what is the Christian view of suffering? The Bible teaches we live in a broken world. That we view suffering as sometimes unfair and unjust and overwhelming. This brokenness invades every part of creation, including our lives. Every part of our lives has some form of imperfection. We are biologically broken, physically broken, relationally broken, spiritually broken, and so on and so forth. For example, my wife has a broken brain from a traumatic brain injury. She can't think like a person with a normal brain. She can't feel like a person with a normal brain. She can't process words or information like a person with a normal brain. She can't handle stress or pressure like a person with a normal brain. She doesn't have the relational capacity of a person with a normal brain. She can't express her emotions like a person with a normal brain. Her brain is injured. There is no fix. She has to live with this condition for the rest of her life. Devastating brokenness. While we live in this broken reality, our relationship with God provides help, hope, and meaning in the midst of our suffering and pain. We, as Christians, embrace the reality of suffering. Mentally, we know it's a real part of our story. And emotionally, we grieve and express our pain. We don't escape from it. We don't detach from it. We don't deny it. We don't see it as futile. We embrace it mentally and emotionally. Jesus, our King and Savior, fully embraced the reality of suffering, saying, at the end of his life, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. We know God's presence and help is with us as we walk through and persevere in our suffering. We have hope in our relationship with God and the daily grace he gives us to sustain us in our suffering. We are loved by God. 
We are forgiven by God. We are adopted into God's very own family. Therefore, we can find meaning in our suffering through our relationship with God. This in no way diminishes or minimizes the pain of suffering that you are going through or we are going through. But it allows us to find meaning and purpose in the midst of our suffering. So where, what are ways that we can find meaning in our suffering? As you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? I have been shaped by a secular view of suffering. And that viewpoint is empty and it leads me nowhere and it helps me really with none of it. Maybe you're going through that. Maybe you're thinking through that and maybe you're in the midst of long-term suffering or short-term suffering or things that you're carrying in your soul that are a deep burden of brokenness. What are ways that we as followers of Jesus, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but what are the ways that Christians can find meaning in suffering? Here's three things to think about before we finish today. First of all, suffering deepens our faith and intimacy with God. Think about Jesus at the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying because he did not want to go to the cross. He knew it was the ultimate pinnacle of agony and suffering in human history. But he prayed over and over to his father, not my will, but yours be done. Think of Job. Job who experienced every form of suffering at once. Job at the end of his suffering, he trusted God And through his suffering, he was honest with God about his struggles. But his faith was deepened. His intimacy with God was deepened. He learned, he grew, he deepened in his faith in God because God cared for him. God was with him. God affirmed him. And God loves you and God is with you. And God cares for you. Second, suffering produces deeper character. There's a few verses in the New Testament I would like to read in relationship to that. In Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces, it it has meaning, produces endurance. We keep going, we press on, we move forward by God's grace and God's help. And endurance produces character. It shapes us. It changes us. And character produces hope. All of a sudden, we have hope, abiding hope uh, through all the despair and all the doubts and all the discouragement. We have abiding hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In another section, in a very similar vein... In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, let me just pause there. He's not saying that you should be excited or joyful for your pain and suffering. He's talking about how the joy is in what suffering does to us, how it deepens us and changes us. He says, verse 3, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, it produces deeper character. Thirdly, suffering causes us to relate to and comfort others who are suffering on a whole deeper level. Listen to these words in 2 Corinthians chapters, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, the comfort that God has in the midst of my pain or your pain, my suffering or your suffering, we then extend that in mercy and compassion and love and genuine care to the people who are going through pain themselves. Think about that. Think about how suffering can not define you, but bring meaning in your life. You are not your pain. You are not your suffering. But it surely does and is a part of our story. It does have meaning in our life. That's a wrap for today. Thanks again for joining me. This is a brand new podcast, and I would love for you to help me spread the word. You can send a link to your family and friends, post something on your social media, and write a review on iTunes. Thank you for your support. I can't wait to join with you next week for more conversations around Christianity and culture, season one.